Hello, and welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the second week of February. I am your host, Brandon Kikowski-Schnell. Uh, very excited for this week's guest. Uh, if you played Civ 3, you played some of his work. If you played Civ 4, uh, you played a lot of his work. Uh, and if you are not playing his current game right now, you're missing out on a pretty uh, unique uh, real-time strategy game. Please give a warm uh, quarter to three welcome to the co-founder, CEO, and creative director of Mohawk Games, Mr. Soren Johnson. Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. How are things going with you? You've got uh, so you got a little, just a little thing heading out in early access this yeah. week. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, just a little, just, little thing. Um, just a little thing called Off World Trading Company, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's our new game. Uh, it's uh, economic RTS, um, which is um, uh, some people not quite sure what to do that term, but uh, I call it that because uh, it's a game that fits the format of an RTS. Uh, you know, which means that it plays out in maybe 30 minutes, uh, plays with up to eight people. Uh, it's very good in team play. Um, you know, it's competitive, it's strategic. Um, but at the same time, when you say RTS, most people basically assume you're talking about a tank rush, right? Right. Um, and this game is, the, the actual mechanics are those of a tycoon game. So that means games like Mule or Railroad Tycoon or, um, you know, other sort of econ-based games, um, which tend to be more sort of these sprawling single-player multi-hour games. Um, and so we're basically trying to create, create this hybrid where we're, uh, you know, using those uh, mechanics, but we're compressing them into a time frame where it would sort of fit, fit the needs of an RTS. Right. When when uh, when I first was reading about the game and saw that it was a, a, an economic RTS, my first thought was like like some sort of class warfare type of game, you know, with like the have the haves against the have nots, right. and just you know, kind of some sort of revolution. The rise of the proletariat, like, yeah, right, like economic oppression. Yeah. Uh, and and while I could make up those stories in my head as to what's actually going on in the game, um, this is more of a uh, this is r- like rich a, people fighting with other rich people. Right, right, trying to buy <laughs> out. You know, this is more your hostile takeover yeah, yeah. Uh, and less uh, less Occupy Wall Street type of situation. Right. So you had you've said that this was a kind of game that you kind of dreamed about making when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, that's somewhat atypical, I think, of a of a game design, like of, of a young child going, "Oh, I can't wait to grow up so I can I can make an economic RTS." Yeah. <laughs> like where, where, you know, where did the in, this kind of interest you know, come from. Sure. Um, well, I don't, I don't know if I thought of it quite in those terms. Like I can't wait to make an economic RTS, but, um, (laughs) I did always like, uh, you know, kind of like business type games. Um, Uh and, uh, as I mentioned, like railroad tycoon was absolutely one of my favorite games when I was a kid. You know, I, I just adored that game. Um, but then there are other, there are board games I played. Uh, there's a really old obscure game called Belter, which was about basically, uh, colonizing the asteroid belt and claiming the resources. Mm -hmm. And you'd, you know, you'd be shipping plate, You'd be shipping uh, your gas or your ore from one place to another place, and then the market to sell. And they had uh, you'd keep track of the price over the course of the game. And you know, the more the different players sell, sold, the price would go down. So uh, you know, a lot of the kind of core elements of, of Offworld, you know, could be seen in, in that game. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so it was something I was always interested in. And then I sort of got more interested in it as uh, my time in the industry grew because, you know, eventually RTSs appeared, and I, I love RTS games, um, but, you know, I played a lot of them, and, you know, they, they kind of, I, I don't know if, I, I don't want to say they're all the same, but they kind of, like, fire the same, you, you kind of use the same thinking, uh, whether, right. you're, whether you're doing StarCraft or Age of Empires or Company of Heroes or whatever, I mean, there's, there's some awesome things about them that define them differently from each other, but it's, you know, it's small differences, you know, compared to like a radical difference. Um, and, uh, I, there was actually one aspect of age of empires that, um, that really inspired me to, to move forward with off world, which was, um, I don't know if, uh, did you, I mean, do you play much RTS games? I do not. I mean, I played age of empires and age of empires two way back in the day when I was, a PC gamer and some StarCraft. Um, I, as I have grown older, I find my ability to multitask uh, 
is nothing. <laughs> it's just evaporated completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should we should talk about that to some as well because I think yeah, I think yeah. that RTS game, uh, your standard RTS, I think it's kind of incredible that it's ever worked at all. Just right. it's incredibly demanding. You know, you're not just you, you know you're having to make strategic choices at the same time as you're juggling you know all these different units and you know right. those each of those aspects could be a full game in and of itself, but. Um, but at any rate, so in Age of in Age of Kings, there was this awesome building called the Market uh, that you would build. And when you clicked on the Market, it was kind of like this hidden aspect of the game. But when you clicked on it, you got this sort of buy-sell interface where the game had four resources, uh, food, wood, and stone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so at any time, normally in an RTS game, your resources, the only way to get them are to you know basically mine them or grow them or chop down trees, you know, whatever. You extract them from the map. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But this was this one place where you could go there. You know, if you want, if you needed some more wood, but you didn't have some, you go to the market and you could just buy wood. Right. Right. Um, but the price was not fixed. It started at a certain value, like 100 or something. But every time anyone in the world, not just you, but anyone in the world hit the buy button, the price would go up. Right. And so it was this really fascinating aspect of that game where, um, you know, if you had, um, you, if you had a lot of one type of resource, you, you can, you basically had to decide like, okay, I've got some excess wood or stone or whatever. Do I want to is it worth selling it to make the gold so I can, you know, get something else or, but at the same time, if I sell it, then I risk making the game easier for the other players because now they can suddenly buy it up right. at a, at a low, a low price. Um, right. And the game only went so far, like it kind of hedged its bets in the fact that um, basically there was a sell price and a buy price and the buy price was double the sell price. So mm-hmm. like you could say you could buy stone for 100, but you could only sell it for 50. And that right. really kind of like you can't really do much, much sort of arbitrage, you know, if right, the prices right. are that far, far apart. It's basically like they they put this aspect into the game and then they were like, well, let's separate out the prices to make sure that it doesn't dominate the game. It's kind of right. They didn't want anyone having an economic victory, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And so it's it became kind of this interesting like side aspect to the game, um, and it became even more interesting once we started messing around with like making our own map scripts. Um, mm-hmm. Like we had, we had a guy at at Fraxis who made this script that had basically almost no uh, wood, but the, the the map had almost no trees, but it was which is normally the most plentiful resource, but it was totally full of stone and gold and stuff like that. Um, so it like it turned the market totally upside down, you know, where wood, which was usually not worth a lot, was was worth hundreds and hundreds of gold. Right. Um, and so then you had to kind of like reevaluate your strategy, like, well, maybe I'll build entirely different types of units now because because wood is so expensive. You know, I'm just going to whatever wood I do get, I'm just going to sell it and, you know, buy the units which don't require wood. Right. Right. Um, and like I was like, wow, there's really something to that. What if you made a game that was really focused on just that aspect, right? Right, um, right. And to do that, of course, you really you need a lot more resources. Uh, you need to not hedge your bets. You need to have, like, one price, right? Mm-hmm. So there can be kind of this, like, you know, you want people buying and selling goods, uh, stuff on the market, right? Because in off-world, like, you definitely get a sense that, um, like, okay, I see that food is at, you know, 70 or 80. You know, that's a really good price. I could sell it to make some money, but I, I, I definitely know that, um, you know, the other players, you know, there's probably other players out there who want me to sell uh, right, because right. they're probably going into debt because they don't have enough food. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough decision. If, if the sell price was like, ha- you know, if the sell price was half of that, then, you know, you wouldn't be tempted to sell and the game would become less interesting. Right, right. I mean, one of the things um, that, I found interesting as playing the game is, you know, typically it seems like in a regular RTS, all of your resource management is designed basically just to build a war machine. So you're kind of just humming along trying to figure out what's the best way to maximize my efficiency to get the things built, you know, as quickly as I can to, you know, fulfill whatever strategy I'm doing. Um, And what I liked about Offworld is it seemed almost like, okay, once you get things built, they kind of hum along and you just kind of are watching how things fluctuate and then um, uh, so so that you can decide these kind of buy-sell decisions and then, okay, am I running low on this? Am I running low on that? Um, But at the same time, 
there's so it's, there's like so much. I felt like there's so much information that I'm I'm trying to process at the same time um, to prioritize. I found that, and this is just my an experience with RTS is like prioritizing was where I really struggled. Like I always felt like I was kind of catching up because the, you know this price was not so much the high low, but like I'm running out of this and I need that thing to make this thing. But then also, okay, well I can sell that thing or buy that thing. Like how do, how do players kind of make those priority decisions um, to know? You know when they should be selling things instead of buying things, or or, or using that to to fuel something else. Sure. Um, so there's a couple ways to answer that. Uh, I mean, I I start with you know one thing I, I seem to remember hearing Tom say a lot about RTS games is that you know the, the most important resource in a game like that is your attention, right? Right. Like how much time you literally you know a game of Offworld might take thirty minutes, right? So that's thirty actual minutes of your time. How much? how much of your time are you going to spend doing all the different aspects of the game? Um, and so, you know, you know, early on, you just need to take some time to get some experience. But once you, once right. you have more experience with the game, you, you're going to have to start, you know, making intuitive decisions of, okay, right now there is this kind of market inefficiency that I could take advantage of, but is it such a big inefficiency? You know, meaning that, for example, like, let's say, uh, let's say water is selling for, you know, 50 bucks, right? And let's say food is selling for 60, for 60, right? Like that's actually mm-hmm. kind of inefficient, right? Because it takes two units of water to make one food, right? right. So in generally speaking, food should cost twice as much as water. Mm-hmm. Um, so if their prices are close to each other, um, well, then the best thing you should do is turn off your farms and just sell the water as it comes and then just use mm-hmm. it to buy food until the prices kind of go back to their equilibrium of, you know, they should be kind of like around a two to one or, or higher. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're going to have to decide like, is that where you want to be spending your time right now? Um, or is there something or should you be focusing instead on, you know, upgrading your colony or you know, checking out what the other players are doing or, uh, you know, deciding what's the best patent research right now. Um, right. And, uh, you know, time, time pressure is like a um, inevitable aspect of that part of the game. Um, and if you're going to be playing, if you're going to be playing the game in multiplayer, um, I mean, for sure, that's like one of the um, one of the important aspects of, of what's going to separate, like you know, the good players from the best players. Um, but at the same time, like it's um, that's the right way to put it. Like in single player, we don't necessarily want that to be the defining aspect of the game. Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, there's not necessarily a lot of micromanagement in the game itself. Right? right. Like you can play the market a ton if you want to, but you know over the course of the game you're probably going to be claiming what 15 tiles, something like that. Um, right. So you're basically you're going to make 15 choices about building a, you know different buildings, and of course you can delete buildings and change them if you want. But um, you know so basically it's like you're if you average out over the course of the game you're building one building every two minutes, right? Right. You know, that's not that that big of a deal. Um, And beyond that, you know, in single player, uh, you can change the game speed. Right. And you can you can pause the game. You can give orders while the game is paused. And I think as we go forward, we're going to probably introduce a lot of things that sort of like automatically pause the game. Like Mm -hmm. when the um, uh, when the game um, uh, like there's an auction every 24 hours. Um, and, and when the auction comes up, we also send up a little bit of information about like, these are the players who are in the most debt or whatever, so on and so forth. Right. And like, like one thing we thought is like in single player, we, maybe we should just automatically pause the game at the end of the auction. So like mm-hmm. it, it, you know, we know the player can choose to pause whenever they want to, but it's sometimes nice just to like prompt them of like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is your chance to catch your breath. You know, take some time, look around, think about whether right. you're pursuing the right high level strategy, take as long as you like. And then, you know, when you're ready, you know, hit the button and, and start up right. again um, or, you know, or having information screens. Right. You hit a button and you'll you'll get um, you'll, you get a, a ledger about, you know, this is where your profit loss is going. You know, this is where you're getting gaining money. This is where you're losing money. You know, various stats that we're showing, you know, single player. There's no reason we just can't pause the game, you know, when that's, when right. that's going on. So um, yeah, I think we're going to go in that. We're going to go in that direction for for single player because um, you know there's there's definitely a lot of players out there who um, you know appreciate what we're doing with the game but are not really sort of RTS action junkies right mm-hmm. um, and they want they want to be able to like take the time to make what they feel like is, is the best decision. Right, right. Well, I think too the fact that you're not you're not building units like that's kind of a hard. Yeah. 
to get across like like you're you know if you're if you're used to constructing your buildings and your resources with the purpose of of generating a thing that will go do a task you know that's not necessarily what that's not what's going on here so you're you're kind of the you're you take a different tack when trying to figure out the resource management aspect of yeah. it. And I think that was when I kind of started playing it. I w- I just was going crazy, like, okay, I got to build this. And, oh, that needs this? Okay, well, then I definitely need that. No, that needs And then they're like, you don't have any more claims. So, what? <laughs> what do you mean I don't have any more claims? Yeah, yeah. You know, okay, start over. <laughs> let's let's try a different route. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's... Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I mean, the building... It actually took us a while to get to this concept of, of no units whatsoever uh, or at least no controllable units um, mm-hmm. because now when you when you place down the buildings they kind of run themselves right right like even if you do something that a player wouldn't typically do like let's say you put a steel mill way out on the other side of the map not near your headquarters mm-hmm. uh, which is you know is not really recommended the game will sort of automatically if you have iron it will ship that iron out to that steel mill yeah yeah your little steel. robots will start trucking yep and it'll send it back to your headquarters. You'll be probably losing money because you're going to be spending so much on fuel just to ship the iron out there and back. But, like, your economy will run itself. Um, and there's also a little button that when you when you select a building, especially for the high-level building, so if you select a, a, an electronics factory, and electronics requires a bunch. It's the big one, right? It requires right. Uh, aluminum, carbon, and uh, silicon to make. Um, and if you look at the market and you see that... Um, the prices of all those goods are, are low enough that you know making electronics is is very profitable. There's this sort of start auto supply button you can press. You click that button, mm-hmm. and then the game will is basically as long as you have cash, it'll automatically buy those resources for you, um, and mm-hmm. then just send them directly to the electronics factory. Um, so even if you don't have those three resources, uh, even even if you're not producing it itself, it'll sort of automatically do that for you. Um, so that's something I actually do a lot. Where if I see if I see one resource has really got out of whack, I'll just you know build a glass furnace or a chemicals lab or whatever and just set it on auto supply. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's something you have to be careful about because if the you know if suddenly the price of aluminum spikes, then you're going to be you know right, buying right. aluminum to make electron you know to make something else which costs less. But um, but you know it's an ex- example of that kind of like automation that that we want to help with. Um, and I guess I should back up to what I was originally saying. It took us a while to get here. So originally, like during the exploration phase, you had these kind of like probe units that would fly around. And mm-hmm. sometimes we had it so that like you'd like place little like exploration flags that they would like kind of like try to go to a little bit like Majesty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was kind of frustrating because you know w- w- when you have units, you kind of wanted them to do exactly what you want to. Um, like part of what makes Majesty fun is it's you kind of like embrace the chaos of like all these guys who are kind of sort of under control and sort of not. But in in our game, like you really kind of if you had these exploration units, you wanted them to do exactly what you wanted them to. So then we let you uh, select them, and I guess that was fine. But it was also kind of at odds with uh, the rest of the game um, because you weren't normally thinking about exploration. Um, right. And with Blimps, actually, way back a long time ago, we actually also experimented with. Uh, early on, like you would build a building and you would actually manually, a bit more like Railroad Tycoon, you would manually say, okay, I built an iron mine, I click on the iron mine, and I'm going to give it a target, right? Like I'm going to target this steel mill or target this headquarters, and that means that's where it sends its resources to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just it was just one level. Like it, it, Actually, I think it's even saying it now, I'm like, oh, that seems fine. That seems like a good idea. But but every little level of, of micromanagement you can take away from the player where, mm-hmm. you know, like if 95% of the time they're going to be making the same decision, if you can take away those those clicks, like, you know, you right. free them up for, you know, thinking about the game at a, at a higher level. So right. eventually we just like sort of committed ourselves like, okay, like just no units, period. You cannot build units. You cannot control them. You cannot tell them where to go. We're just going. That's going to be one of our constraints, and we're just going to design the game around that. Uh, right. So that's right. why we're like, well, what about scans? What if you had some sort of high-level power where you're just manually, you know, clicking a button to, you know, spread up, you know, reveal, you know, reveal the black, um, push back the black, um, and that that seems to work really well. So. You know. Right. Right. I mean, I, I like that's one of the things I, I like about the game. I mean, there's a lot to like about the game. I don't want to make it sound like oh, it's the only thing. Um, it's the fact that, like, if you click a, if you, you know, if you got the map kind of cleared and you just say, all right, I've got this thing here, it'll just say, okay, here's all the places you could put it. Right. You know, just there's no, if you want to, 
if you've got a water source way the heck out here and you want to put your you know whatever your uh, water processing plan or or extraction plan out there go ahead i mean it may not be the best decision in the world sure. but if you're looking for it this is where you could put it yep. you know Similarly, like for, like for putting the wind, I, I love the fact that it's like this here is high wind. Yeah. And you could be like, okay, great, thanks, perfect, yep. you know, and kind of start putting that stuff down. And then obviously, you know, uh, you're going to want to try to maximize your bonuses by putting you know some of the buildings as close to each other as they can. But you know, it kind of just takes away that that having to spend the time to figure out, you know, am I going to waste? Am I going to waste time? Am I going to waste you know resources by putting something where it really shouldn't be? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've always liked letting players sort of make high-level decisions and then giving them some reasonable suggestions about maybe these are two or three good choices. Uh, like in Civ Four, when you had a settler selected, it would run the AI found routine and kind of like you know, it would put a little blue circle on the map and like here are two or three spots that we think might be good for founding a city. You know, when you right and when you selected a worker, it would like highlight two or three spots it thought you should go to, and then when it got there, when you got there, it would like sort of blink the, the farm button. Um, and the thing about these these systems is once players got good at the game, they often started to kind of make fun of the suggestions because they thought they were often not the best ones. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter for a new player. With a new player, you just want to make sure they're not doing really dumb decisions, right? Right, I mean, right. I mean, dumb isn't the right word. Like, they're just playing, you know, from a point of view of ignorance, right? So you just want to make right. sure they're they're staying on a reasonable path, right? And uh, um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to continue that, that idea with Offworld. Sure. Well, what you don't want, especially with games that are, you know, maybe slightly more complicated for a newcomer, you don't want them to stop playing it because they feel as if they're just losing all the time. And they may be losing because, like you're saying, they're they're just they're coming to a game they've never played before, and there's a lot of decisions that they typically haven't uh, been been ha- or haven't had to make. Right. Um, yep. But uh, so so one of the things that you you talked about. Um, on uh, on the the, uh, the site for for off world, and then also you know you can just kind of tell by the way it's played is is the fact that all of these different strategies and counter strategies and things can come about. I mean, at, it, how much thought goes into paring down those counter strategies? Is it is it simply just a matter of saying we just don't want any one thing to rule the game, and then beyond that go crazy, or do you kind of have a little more guidance that you that you want around that stuff? Uh, could you be more specific? Like, are you th- are you talking about like which which resources you should be building, or which advanced buildings you should go for, or yeah, like like for example, you know, you kind of talk about um, so so there's there's different ways that you can work towards a win condition, and for every strategy that comes up, players might have a counter strategy, right. but there's always the possibility that by the way you've designed the game, some of those counter strategies are going to become more prevalent, way more heavily than others. I guess how much um, do you look to kind of keep things balanced in terms of which ones people use um, as long as there isn't just one that people can dominate with you're okay or do you do you try to give equal weight to every you know to as many counter strategies as possible I mean it seems like th- there's a point where you you can't think of everything sure but- um, yeah so so first of all one of the, one of the nice benefits we have is the aspects of, the aspect of the game that relies on the the free market. Um, is uh, is kind of self balancing, right? Like like mm-hmm. we're not actually very we're not worried that like there's the, like oh these are the best resources and like those resources you shouldn't worry about, right? Like like that part just just straight up works because um, you know if everyone goes for glass then you know the price of glass is going to crash and the person who didn't go for glass is going to do really well, right? So right like that that's that's you know that's balanced super well and you know probably any game with a free market like can can make that work so that's nice right the issue for the rest of the game though is is like any other game right like so some of the advanced buildings are you know the hacker array the patent lab the engineering lab they all they all do, they're kind of orthogonal they all do something very differently right the hacker lab lets you manipulate the uh, the prices the industrial lab lets you upgrade your production by a specific type of resource and then the patent lab lets you get these kind of like sort of game-breaking powers. Um, and it's right. also a race. Like, the first person to get a patent um, is the only one who can get it. Um, okay, right. Which is an aspect I really like. You know, a lot of games have these kind of game-breaking technologies, but 
you know, often kind of everyone ends up with them by the end of the game anyway. And, you know, I don't know. Um, it's kind of, they've got, you've got a bunch of gods warring against each other. Right, right, exactly. Where it's kind of interesting here to know that like, okay, you've got thinking machines, but I've got teleportation, right? And that, that's kind of a, a leads to a certain type of play. Um, but anyway, as to how to balance those against each other, uh, I mean, that's just one of the big challenges of, of game design, right? Like I, um, I feel like, you know, we play a lot of games internally and uh, there was a period of time where basically everyone thought that like the hacker array was overpowered, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just got a lot of use. You basically people would, you know, build up a huge stockpile of one resource and then just short it as much as they could, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So then, you know, I kind of like was trying to tackle the problem two ways. Um, one is like, okay, well, I'll I'll change some numbers, right? I'll sort of dampen the effect. Uh, maybe each time you use the hacker array, the price will go up a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. So like that'll kind of uh, balance itself out a little bit. But at the other at the other mm-hmm. hand, I I just kind of committed myself to okay, when we play multiplayer, I'm not going to build a hacker array, right? right? I'm just going to not do it. And as long as I'm able to win games, then I'm going to consider it balanced. Right. right. Like as long as I'm able to find some sort of path around that, then, you know, I think I think, you know, I, I'm going to consider a balance. And to me, the as long as, you know, if every aspect of the game you say like, oh, well, player can do this. If all as long as I can say like, well, then you can do that. You know, if player does X. Well, then you can do Y. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you do Y, you're going to win. Like that would actually mm-hmm. be a really bad game. It just means that there is there is some sort of option that maybe you could pull off. Right. Right. And the why for the hacker array is like, okay, if you see someone has mm-hmm. built, you know, build a hacker array early, well, watch, pay attention to what they're they're building. Right. Like, if mm-hmm. you see they have a hacker array and they've got three or four steel mills, well, then they're probably trying stockpiling steel. So then, right. what you need to do is you need to start building steel. Right. Right. Because they're going to be sh- they're going to be doing the shorts for you. And then you're going to make as much money as they do, except you won't have to have built a hacker array or spent the money to cause the shortages. Like you're going to right. be basically piggybacking on top of them. Um, so, like, uh, like that, you know, that that would be my answer to the the hacker array issue, right? Um, right. We've had similar issues with the black market. Um, the uh, there was a period of time where it just seems like the black market was like way too powerful. Um, just in the sense that, like, it was the one place you could, like, kind of trip up players. So, you know, whoever got, whoever built the first geotherm, they would pretty much always get mutinied right away, right? So then mm-hmm. people, you know, the geotherm is, like, the most powerful early building in the game, but, like, people were afraid to build it, basically, right? right. Um, so then I added the goon squad, uh, which is that, uh, that item that basically you buy from the black market and you sort of secretly install it on one of your buildings, and it's kind of like a seems like there should be a good analogy for board games, but I can't think of it. It's, it's, you know, it's basically the defensive one, right? So if I have a goon squad on my geotherm and you, you try to mutiny it, your, your mutiny will fail. It'll be announced to everyone that you tried to do this, and I will actually steal your mutiny from you, right? Uh-huh. So it's a pretty big penalty. Um, right. And the, um, this change made a huge difference, not, not, not so much actually in the purely mechanics of the sabotage changing hands, although that was nice, it was more the threat of the goon squad, right? Mm-hmm. Like now people would hesitate to to hit a geotherm early because they were simply afraid that it might have a goon squad installed in it, right? Right. Um, right. So then suddenly it now there was this aspect of the game like, okay, yes, there is the black market and you can sabotage people, but you know that putting yourself out there like that has a risk, right? Right, um, right. And so that, that helped, helped balance that out. Well, well, now that that uh, kind of a, a larger player base is going to be able to get a hold of it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of like meta game pops up around. Because I, I think anytime you have a, a game like this where there's a lot of strategic elements, uh, you know, there's strategies, there's counter strategies, you know, the community will will naturally kind of all gravitate towards the same strategy until someone really comes up with an effective way to counter it and then they kind of move to a different one and then you know that was one of the things when Hearthstone first came out you know as you were playing and you were building your decks you really had to be cognizant of okay well what are the most like what are the decks that people are really running a lot now and and how do I counter um yep against that um and so uh you know, you're going to presumably be keeping an eye on on things like that just to get a feel for you know it's going to expose a greater degree of possible um, imbalance. Um, but at the same time, um, do you think that the community is 
if, if you have a lot of people saying, hey, we really feel like this thing here is imbalanced, um, do you feel like they'll accept that notion of, well, it's not because we can do X, Y, and Z against it? Um, or is there, you know, now that it's kind of un, uh, available to a broader audience, is there um, kind of more of a risk that, that folks are going to still kind of see it as being, see certain aspects as being, um, you know, overpowered one way or another? Yeah. Um yeah, I've always been a close follower of whatever you know, Blizzard will talk about with their their games and how they balance them because they have kind of like the most intense version of this, um, and they often run into these issues where uh, the community believes one thing about the game, and mm-hmm. then they look at the stats, and the community is not right, right? right. Or they just you know they 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 decide they're going to commit to waiting two or three months, and then eventually like someone organically figures out the right counter to it. Um, right. And then it was a good thing that they didn't they didn't make a change. Right. Um, but, you know, for sure, that's mm-hmm. like that's an art, not a science. Right. Of, of right. figuring out, you know, how do you because there are definitely some times when you do need to step in and make changes. Um, and if, if nothing else, I'm just really excited about the going to early access now because we can theoretically you know, sort of fast forward that process a little bit and, you know, mm-hmm. find out what are the things that people do think is are, are dominant or are the best strategies right now when we still have, you know, a year to go before we release the game um, to, uh, you know, either either make a change or give ourselves time simply. Like, no matter what happens in the next, you know, week or two after, you know, the game comes out, like, whatever strategy someone thinks is dominant, if we decide to just sit on it for three months, we can do that. Right. Like we, right, we absolutely right. have time right now. So, um, I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Um, and we do, we do have stats in the game about like, you know, it keeps track of every time every building is built or every patent is, is, is researched or, uh, every time the hacker rate is used or, or, you know, every time, and you know, the, the most basic one, every time you win or lose per headquarter type. Right. Cause I'm sure that right. that's going to be probably the biggest, one people discuss is which is the best, you know, which is the best uh, headquarter type, you know, expansive, right. scientific, robotic, so on. Now, uh, I don't know if you're you're not supposed to be in beta for a year. You uh, you do know that, right? Like you're supposed <laughs> to. Like I mean, you're not. Is this like Gmail? Is it just gonna constantly? <laughs> I mean, you're supposed to do early access right. and then, you know, give it a couple months and then and then come out. I mean, do you do you not want to make money? Is that is that one? I thought you were supposed to go on early access, then make a lot of money and then forget about your project and start making something else. I thought that's how it worked, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's one way to go, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because like when I first heard about early access, I'm like, oh, this is this is fantastic. I hope that like we're able to get something out fast enough before like basically other people screw up early access <laughs> for us. Right. So I don't know. I mean, to me, like I, I want to be very upfront about this. Like if there's people who don't like the idea of early access or um, playing a game, which is not finished, like I just, I definitely do not want them to buy the game, you know, like it's, uh, right. you know, please, please pay attention to us, you know, like, uh, you know, keep us on your radar, and you know we will absolutely let you know when we, when the game is finished, and we were you know think it's think it's ready for for people to put their you know their money down, knowing that they're going to get a polished finished product. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of people who really like jumping in while a game is still under development. Um, you know, we're very active on our boards. Um, you know, but right now there's there's not enough people playing the game. There there is the right amount of people playing the game. So basically, everything that someone writes about it on our forums, I read like. Right. Straight up. Um, right. And eventually, I'm, I'm sure that, that won't be possible, or hopefully that won't be possible. Um, but, uh, you know, for now, like, it's, it's, in, it's in a good spot. So, you know, I, I, I like this process. We kind of got lucky in that the game, um, it came, game came together pretty quickly. Uh, it, it helps that when you're making a multiplayer game, especially a, sm- a multiplayer game that you can play play in a short period of time, like, it's it's... It's very, you know, when you have a game that's 30 minutes, like it's very easy for our team to play a game every day, right? right we don't, right. we don't do that. We probably play a game every other day, um, and then there's other days where like we just play three or four one afternoon and like really deep dive on like how the game is at that time. Um, but when you have that type of a format, a game can go develop really quickly because it's really obvious what are the actual issues with the game, right? Right. Like if you make a, if you make an MMO, I mean, first of all, 
don't do that. Don't make an MMO. I was going to say, <laughs> step one, stop. Yeah, you know, any <laughs> any type of uh, you know multiplayer game that like is has like an enormous scope, like huge development problem. And then on the other side, if you're making a single player game, you know, you, you know, you, you make the you know you make the game, and you're coming up with new ideas. But until you have, especially for strategy games, until you have an AI that can actually uh, execute them, you're kind right. of you're kind of pretending to play the game. Right, right, right. Like you're just you're playing the game. You're, you're you're doing these things, but do you know if it's balanced? Do you know if it's a good idea? Like if the AI is not using it, you're probably just going to be able to trounce them. So, right. You know, without without reasonable pushback, it's hard to get a sense for how your game actually is. Um, so you know, for Offworld, like you know, we expect most people to play the game in single player, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's to me, it's it's the. That, that will be the the typical off-world experience is people coming and playing you know single player skirmishes or the, the campaign um, but since it was multiplayer we were able to every time an idea came out like hey let's try um, you know let's try a patent lab where you have all these crazy different patents and I'll just keep adding new ones like every time I added one like the next day I was going to able to get a sense of whether it was a good idea or not Right. right. As opposed to like, you know, just playing the stuff out and like, well, a year from now we'll figure out this is a good idea because that'll be the, the point when we have, you know, the AI will be, you know, able to take care of it. So right, right. So that let us get. So that's why the game developed really quickly, and then we kind of just got to this point where we're like, well, the game works. It's pretty. pretty it's in really good shape. I mean, for I mean, and uh, I, I, when I played it, I didn't have any issues at all. Which for an early access title, that's that's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So we basically kind of like, well, uh, I mean, I think we actually could have gotten early access last year if we wanted to. It was, it was more a question of like, well, now we have to figure out how this fits into like our marketing plan. And like, um, you know, is the game really good looking enough? Like we are, we are kind of like anxious about what people think of like the initial screenshots. And, um, you know, we think it looks pretty good now, but it's it's really gotten everything is really improved. There's been some significant UI and train and um a few models, specific uh, building model improvements over the last uh, couple months. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, like we kind of feel like we hit the sweet spot right now in February to, to get it out there. Right, right. Well, the other thing, I'm not sure if you know this, but but typically if people are playing your game, you usually want them to talk about it. But you, you, you said, no, don't do that. Is that uh, – <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I really – you know, I, I give you a lot of credit for. It seems like of late the – the, the strategy is just to just shotgun people with information, um, but yet not be able to say anything substantial early on because there's plans in place and maybe decisions haven't been made. Um, yeah. So to have a situation where, you know, you can say, here's our thing. Oh, and by the way, we can actually talk about it and actually answer questions about, you know, what we're going to do and that type of thing was very refreshing because, you know, um, all too often, it's just I feel like there's announcements made where you're like, okay, what, what was the point of that? It just doesn't seem to to do anything other than just keep in somebody's head that this thing at some point may or may not exist. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We took a lot of time to kind of think about how we wanted um, word of the game to get out, um, and we kind of we did have some sort of policy adjustments as we went on. Um, and actually, one of the things I think that's been the most interesting takeaway for me from this whole process is that basically if you're if you come to people in good faith and ask them to do things nicely they'll basically respect your wishes um almost almost to an extent too much because when we um when we i think we opened up our founders program in june um so you know eight months ago um and at that point we we had you know a an nda in place we're like okay you're gonna you're gonna buy this game and we were at really, you know, we were asking a lot of people, like, you know, first of all, uh, you can't talk about the game, you can't show the game, you can't have screenshots. And also, you're not going to get the game. You're going to get the game at some indeterminate point in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, and obviously we're not going to show you what the game looks like. Um, we're just going <laughs> to tell you a little bit about the game. Please buy our game. And, you know, we weren't... Uh, some people took that the wrong way or didn't like basically what we were saying because... Uh, it is a lot to ask of people. Um, right, but on right. the other hand, like there were people who took advantage of it. And as far as I know, we haven't had, there hasn't been a single person who joined the program and wanted a refund or wanted, you know, were upset with, with what they they got. Um, so, you know, I didn't want, you know, 
a hundred thousand people to come in and, and buy that. You want, you know, I right. wanted a few hundred and that's what, that's right. what we got at that point. Right. Right. Um, right. And that was fine. You know, they got in and then as soon as we had a, you know, the prototype ready, which was really like a, a month or two uh, after that, it was, it was earlier than we promised. We got those people a prototype and then they started playing the game and they still, they still, we, you know, part of the NDA was we still said, you know, please don't talk about the game. Please don't share screenshots. But, you know, I should also say like, there is no way, first of all, that um, I, I suppose legally there was probably a framework in place where we could have prevented that. But, mm-hmm. but uh, first of all, a lot of these people are international, so who knows what the actual laws are there. Right. And, and second right. of all, there, there's no way we would ever actually chase down someone, one of our like, right. most dedicated fans, and like, you know, get them in tr- trouble legally for you know, sharing stuff about our game. Right. right. Like that's that's how dare you be enthusiastic. <laughs> right. You know, it's just not something we're going to do. But so basically all we had done is we just, you know, yeah, there was some legal stuff. It just it just kind of like maybe sets the right tone. But we were basically just asking people nicely. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually at some point we're like, well, you know what? Really, I think this is a little bit counterproductive because we actually want people like people are people inside the, our private forums are saying, hey, this game is great. Like we're really excited about where this is going. Um but, uh, you know, we can't talk about the game, um, you know, externally. And so then that then we said, like, well, you know, we, we should have done originally is actually that the NDA should only be covering visuals. Right. You can't right. show pictures. You can't show videos of the game. But if you want to talk about the game, that's great. Um, and actually, when I, we made that change. And people still weren't talking about the game, right? Like, because I, I, you know, the, the, first of all, they're not necessarily following every single step that you're sure. announcing. Like, probably a lot of people didn't didn't notice that. And then I think a lot of other people are just kind of, they don't want to be the guy that like writes the stuff, you know. Like, I think basically it, most people's intentions are, are very good, you know. I mean, right. there's just there's a for the people who get involved early, there's a, just a lot of goodwill on both sides for for making the project work. So, um, you know, most people were just kind of policing themselves more than they really even necessarily needed to. So, um, so yeah, I think that um, I think that as long as you're absolutely upfront about what you're asking of people and what you're going to do, and then you also follow through um, with what you say you're going to do, like um, I've found that people have, you know, the people have. Um, you know, have responded very well and they've, they've, um, you know, they fulfilled their end of the bargain as well, you know? Right. Right. And that, that type of trust between the consumer and the, and the, the, the developer, I mean, that's crucial for an early access thing anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we, we joked before, but you know, how many times have we've seen both early access Kickstarter, whatever, all these kind of lofty promises, um, that end up not, yeah. you know, not coming true. Um, yeah, we actually, you know, at the same time, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so what you just said, it brings, makes me think about, like, so a few, but over the last couple of months, we had to figure out what we wanted for a launch trailer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was originally some ideas like, oh, we'll get a CGI shop involved, or we're going to spend a lot of money, or, you know, we got to figure out a way to, you know, make the game look really great. And, like, um, it kind of, there, you know, it just, it just didn't quite sit with us right. You know, like I, it was hard to figure out what that trailer is. I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but we have a little three, three or four minute thing on YouTube now, which is mm-hmm. basically us talking about the game. And, right. Um, it's it looks a bit like a Kickstarter pitch video um, because mm-hmm. it's involved. You know, they, they are they're they're interviewing me. They're showing some of the people internally here playing the game, um, and then you know we interspersed with with video of actual gameplay and and um, stuff like that. Um, but it's not, um, at least I hope it doesn't come across as essentially a la- an actual launch trailer. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like that was the wrong thing for us to be creating at this point. Right. right. Like, right. I, I don't want us to make a video where we're saying, like, we have this amazing game. Look how incredible it looks. Please come buy it. Right. Like that. Right. That, I think that's what that's kind of like what you do instinctively when you're when you're making a piece of marketing, right? But I think that's the wrong right. thing to do at this point, which is why I says, okay, instead, why don't we talk to the people about this is the game we're making, this is why we're excited about it, um, this is the state it's at, this is why we're going to early access. You know, we still have a long way to go. We want to we're going to early access because we want to find out how the game plays, what people are going to do with it when they play it. We want it, we want there to be you know a direct line of feedback. I, I, the thing I often say is that I feel like um, players 
you know, eventually players understand the game much better than the designers do. You know, that right. happens, especially that always happens for strategy games. And so going to early access now lets us basically jump ahead, get to that point earlier than, earlier than we would otherwise. Um, but I really wanted the tone of the video to be, you know, um, you know, this is not an ad, right? Like this is us talking about what we're doing and right. you know, maybe you want to come on board. Maybe you don't either, you know, both, both is fine, but you know, we're right. trying to be as open as we can about where we are in the process. Right. Right. Uh, well, certainly, you know, I mean, with, with things have changed so much in terms of the level of, um, just the, the, the so many different contact points that a developer can have with their audience in terms of like you guys you 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 know you do a twitch screen or sorry a twitch stream you know every Thursday at uh, noon Pacific and then you know you have the forums and you have the blog and that type of thing and so there's just so many different ways to be able to keep showing you know your your backers or keep showing the people who are interested in the game but are maybe holding off like here's the progress we're making look we are actually doing things this is the stuff um, that's going on. Um, yep. You know, which is so to me, I mean, it's just so much against the typical kind of triple A big budget way of making a game. Where okay, here's the press announcement. Uh, then maybe a couple months later, we're going to say here's uh, who's the voice talent is. Uh, we're going to do a launch trailer. Uh, we'll do a preview event. We'll do another launch trailer. You know, here's the announcement that it's it's gold with your pre order incentives, or whatever. Right. And then the game comes out, yep. and it's just this wall where between the consumer and the developer where the you know the consumer is going okay well that stuff kind of looks good so you know I'm in and the developer is, is banking on the fact or the, I should say more the publisher is banking on the fact that if they if they put the best stuff forward that they can get people to pre-order um right you know whereas it's shifted so much now for smaller developers to really have a much better relationship with the consumer in terms of like look this is what we're doing and if you if you're if if you're interested in it, great. If you're not, hey, we get that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I feel like the, you know, the big advantage of being an independent developer is you, you do, essentially you don't have to do things like the AAA developers do, right? Right. Like, um, I sort of understand why they they make games like that. It doesn't. It's not very. It's not very enticing to me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And in many ways, I'm amazed that any good games ever come out of that process at all. <laughs> because yeah, of absolutely. How many people are involved and like how. You know how um, inflexible that process is, and how right. hard it is to get genuine feedback as well. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, like it, if if we don't have to do that way, then like absolutely, we want to take advantage of every tool we can to you know connect ourselves to our to our players. I mean, like that's that's what will keep us alive as a studio for sure. Right. 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 Now, uh, from a d- development standpoint, what kind of methodologies do you guys? You, are you an agile shop or are you? Uh, yeah, we don't really have any methodology per se. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> just kind of do stuff. We do our stuff. I mean, stuff comes our, out. <laughs> I guess our methodology is like we've hired really experienced people. Uh, uh-huh. Like uh, we've got, let's see, I guess seven full time people and a couple contractors. Um, and so of the seven, three of them are, including myself, are people who are veterans of the CIF4 team. Um, right. And uh, another one who's a longtime veteran of Big Huge Games, Mm -hmm. uh, another longtime veteran of Fraxis, guy worked on Civ V, and uh, um, another guy, one one of the other programmer has been in the industry longer than any of us, including myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, so these are all people who, who know what they're doing, right? They don't, they don't need management as long as they believe in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, are, um, you know, and, and that there is sort of like good, a good level of communication going on internally, then, you know, we don't really need a lot of management. You know, we don't, we don't have a a producer per se, for example. Right. Um, the, um, our art director, uh, Dorian Newcomb, who was the, who was the art director on Civ Five, So, you know, he's, you know, obviously very talented. Um, right. So he's, he's good at doing that, but he also, I'd say is, you know, is sort of steps up to like handle everything else that needs to get handled in a, in a game, you know, inside of a, of, inside of a studio, um, which is generally speaking what you, what you also need a producer for. Um, right. and you know, if we keep, 
if if uh, if we have to grow, because I'm not really, I don't really want to grow, but if we have to grow, then eventually we'll we'll probably need someone like that, and then we'll we'll you know have um, you know maybe we'll start start talking about methodology. But uh, my own philosophy, I'm generally I'm generally very anti ideology. Period, um, mm-hmm. at, at all levels, right? Like I think any time. Um, Anytime you believe that there is sort of this one answer to a problem and, you know, like you've got the answer, you've got the steps, you know, which is basically what if you're talking to people who believe in agile or they believe in, you know, whatever else, uh, you know, they have, it's like, you know, we have this, we have this process and it's going to fix your problems. You know, like I just, you know, I, I don't feel that, you know, let alone the fact of all the different types of software there is, like think of like the variety of, 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 of games and team sizes and platforms that are in the games industry, right? Like it's, right. it's, it's just, I don't even, I don't even have the right adjective, right? Like it is, it is so <laughs> varied. And so, you know, we're just, you know, we're, we're doing something that we think works for us. And when we have issues, like we, I think uh, maybe a couple months ago, we had kind of this issue of like, um, you know, I, you know, the game's moving long, but I think that, you know, maybe we aren't, we don't really have meetings hardly right. at all. Um, but right. they're, uh, because we basically are spread between three specific offices. Um, like I'm in, I have one, which is uh, one I'm speaking from. And then there's an office on my right side, on my, my left side. Each of them basically have like three or four developers in them. Right. Um, and so there's, there's lots of good communication, but there's, you know, there's still a few things that come up from time to time where people don't necessarily know if I may have made it, you know, I may have been talking to the people at Stardrock and we've made some decision about, you know, marketing or the early access date or whatever. And like, how does that filter out to the team and so on and so forth. And so we're like, well, you know what we're going to do? Let's just every Monday we're going to bring in some food and we're just going to have lunch together. Right. And like half the time, you know, we might be talking about the Seahawks and the Ravens or whatever, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, if there's something important that we need to think about or talk about a little bit, we'll just we'll just talk about it there, and that's and right. like, hey, whoa, all right, well, we got some sort of process, and <laughs> right, right. If well, we're happy with that, great. Right. I mean, the reality is, development methodologies. I mean, to me, they're like, you know, they're like economic models, right? Like mm-hmm. democracy or communism or free market. I mean, those are just like <laughs> yeah. they're theories, right? In practice they break down. Right. So, you know, you have to make allowances for every individual team and every individual, um, every individual product and process. And, you know, typically you know, when, when people start talking about agile and things, it's like, you know, for something that's called agile, this is the most inflexible system <laughs> ever, <laughs> you know, like, like, you, you know, just coming in and saying, okay, well now that we do this, 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 and this, that doesn't make you agile. That makes you rigid. Yeah. You're just <laughs> using a different word. Um, yeah. To describe yourself. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, the thing I see that has some value in agile is, you know, they, they're basically focusing on, on small tasks, right? Right. Like we right. have small tasks with very specific goals. And I think right. that can be useful on teams where, um, you know, the, the projects could kind of spiral out of control. Um, sure. And it's, you know, you kind of, you, two months pass, and you kind of look back and you're like, why, why what were we what? doing? Like, what, how yeah. did we spend that time? Were we doing, you know, we were making the best use of our time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that could be a risk for us if we had, you know, a lot of, a lot of junior guys who uh, didn't necessarily know what it meant to ship a product. Um, right. And, uh, but you know, that, that's not the position we're in. You know, we're, we're trying to leverage our strengths, you know, and our strengths are, we've got, we've got good guys. We've got a lot of experience making strategy games. So, you know, we're, we're going to try to make a game that's as, you know, you know, deep as compelling as possible and, you know, you know, make use of our, make use of our time the best we can while we're, you know, while we're in the office. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so you say you've, you've got a year. Do you have a, a time frame in mind for when it'll actually release or? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a date on this calendar somewhere inside Stardock. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, it's in, mm-hmm. in early 2016, I think. Uh, and so what, what is on the plate then for this year? I mean, in terms of like features, uh, is, is the game like, do you, do you have everything implemented you want to? And now it's just a matter of, of balancing and fine tuning, right. or is there still stuff to put in that, that, so that, the, uh, I mean, the core gameplay is, is done or it, it's, right. it's done until the community proves otherwise. Right. <laughs> you know, they'll, right. they'll show me what parts I need to change, I guess. Um, and whenever I have extra time, I just work on the AI, you know, that's always, right. I'll, I could theoretically probably work on that for the rest of my life if I wanted to. Um, but I definitely don't want to work on it for the rest of my life. But uh, um, I mean, so I, so, but I, but whenever I have time, I work on the AI. Um, the UI can always be improved. You know, obviously the the whole art um, 
has still um, there's still a lot. You know, I think maybe four or five of the buildings are using Final Art right now. So mm-hmm. you know, we've got to you know we've got to fix that. The units kind of all need Final Art. Um, you know, we have some ideas of for like like maybe like when you found your colony, like a little railroad pops up to connect. You, sorry, when you find your headquarters, a little colony, uh, railroad pops up connecting like your headquarters to the colony. So every time you buy and sell stuff, you can see stuff going back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's just a lot of little little touches like that we want to get in. Uh, a big thing is that uh, Stardock is working on a service called Tachyon, which is kind of like it's trying to be their battle net essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And so right now you want to play multiplayer. You just you know you just go online and you're kind of looking for pickup games, or you're you're going to use Steam's invite system or whatever. That's how you play multiplayer. But eventually, you know, we want a you know we want a multiplayer service, right? You know, where you mm-hmm. it's got matchmaking and ladders and rankings and you know points and all that stuff. Now, are you worried at all? I mean, I find that when you talk about rankings and stuff, to me, at least what seems like what I found lately is that the, the minute you put a number next to somebody's <laughs> name, it's just opening Pandora's box sure. of evil. Like, like the most, the nicest guy in the world will start strangling kittens if he feels that it's going to get him that that lower number yeah. uh, next to his name. Yeah. yeah, I I I think I have a lot to learn about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've played. You know, I played. So, yeah, I kind of set some time to set some time aside last year to just play StarCraft II some, just so I could get yeah. a sense for how their their uh, ranking system worked, because it felt like they were kind of like really the best of the bunch at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought they did a pretty good job with it, but I think that I am still have a whole lot to learn, so I am definitely a little anxious about that. And for so for sure, we're going to have like casual play which is totally there are no points or values associated to you at all with you at all right. as well as kind of like official play and um you know hopefully that'll be the release valve that will make it work but uh, right yeah i mean i'm definitely anxious about that yeah yeah well that's i mean i guess that's the other benefit of having you know giving yourself enough time uh to to kind of balance things is is you can't foresee everything and particularly with stuff you haven't even implemented yet. So to kind of give yourself time to react to these things and make changes accordingly. Um, well, it sounds very interesting. I, I think that, um, I think the game looks great. I, I, I'm really interesting to see how the process works. Uh, I think it's fantastic that you guys are giving yourself, um, that amount of time and, and just, um, the, the interactions with um, the community have been um, really cool to watch. Like, I think the day that it all came out, it's like you heard this collective, oh, shit, like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just like, like uh, which I think got it, to me, it kind of gave it this little air of like, oh, wow, like, you know, look at all these cool people who are allowed to see Soren's work before it was done. I mean, obviously, there's more people involved, but, you know, your name is definitely a huge draw. Mm-hmm. Um for this type of thing. So it was really cool to kind of see all the little things popping up in my feed yep. about, about the game, yeah. um, which had to have been, you know, gratifying for, for the team as well to, to finally get a chance to have it out there and see the response. Yeah. Um, I didn't see anything that was like, eh, whatever. Like most people were like, it's really awesome. But it's cool. You're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been really nice. I uh, have, my productivity has dropped pretty much to zero from <laughs> wandering around the internet, seeing what people are saying about the game. Um, yeah. But, you know, F5 is your best friend right now. Just, <laughs> I just remove it from a keyboard and then that'll solve my problem. <laughs> well, don't worry. You know the, these waves of, of good feelings—they only they only last so long. I'm, I'm sure. You know, within a few days, this game sucks. Uh, you know, the hacker raise overpowered. Op. Op. Everything's op. OP. Right. Yep. Um. So, what is the next? Uh, so, so early access is out, and then is there? Do you have like another milestone or, or next kind of thing you're working towards that we definitely want to have X thing in by Y date, or is it just kind of? You know, we'll see kind of what happens and go from there. Yeah, I think we're just going to see what happens. I mean, it's been such a long process to get to this point that I think I'm excited to just just let it ride for a month or two and see and see what happens, and then make our plans based off of you know based off of this this unknown thing that's going to happen as soon as we go up in early access. So, right, right, um, and just uh, let, let's get all the uh, the technicalities in terms of the 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 hard and fast fact. So it's thirty nine ninety nine. Is that correct? Thirty nine ninety nine. Um, early access. Yeah, there has been a discount, um, on, which you can get to from offworld I'm not, 
100% sure when that will change or if there'll be a different discount when it's, it's up on Steam. Uh, I'm obviously totally on top of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the normal price is going to be, yeah, $40. Right. Okay. And then you guys, you do a you do a, a Twitch stream mm-hmm. uh, Thursdays noon Pacific. You're yeah. on Twitter. Uh, what's the Twitter handle if folks want to follow you? Uh, well, I'm at Soren Johnson on Twitter, and then there's the Mohawk Games Twitter handle, which will also you know be more relevant to Offworld directly. Um, and then on Twitch, the handle is just also Mohawk Games. Um, mm-hmm. And then at MohawkGames.com, we also have a blog where we post stuff you know somewhat regularly about the game. Um, and uh, and then well, you know, OffworldGame.com is sort of the general site where you could you know find all this stuff basically. Right, right. Now I know that Offworld Trading Company, rightly so, is taking up the focus. Does Mohawk have anything else kind of percolating in the on the back burner, or is it? Uh, uh, well, I have some ideas, but I'm doing my best to stay away from them. Um, focus <laughs> on Offworld. It's the you know game designers are, are sort of infamous for like always wanting to move on to the new stuff as opposed to finish the old stuff. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Actually, you know, I should mention one other thing, which is not Offworld related at all. But since this is a podcast, I should say it. I've actually started my own podcast. Oh, absolutely. Uh, called Designer Notes, uh, just sort of yep. an extension of my blog, uh, which is designer notes.com, um, which you know, I've run for a long time. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's basically me interviewing uh, various game designers around the industry, um, mm-hmm. doing a pretty lengthy interview, usually about two hours, about their basically their entire career. You know, what, what got them into games, why they make games, you know, why, why they specifically made the decisions they did on their, you know, all the, the various different games that they've made. And, you know. and uh, the, my, my first guest was uh, Rob Pardo of Blizzard. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, that, was, that one was... It kind of sprawl, it sprawled into such a big podcast that it actually has two parts. Uh, wow! So it's like wow. basically four hours of him and I talking about uh, all the stuff he's done at Blizzard. Um, and then the third episode was me with Frank Lance, uh, who was mm-hmm. the guy who designed uh, uh, Drop Seven. Uh, and yep. Has been uh, heavily. He's currently the director at the uh, NYU Game Center, um, mm-hmm. and has done a lot of really interesting kind of crazy game projects. Um, even worked at Zynga. Um, Wow, <laughs> but um, uh, and yeah, so you can get that at idlethumbs.net/slash/designernotes. They're uh, kindly hosting uh, my my podcast for me, which is great. Um, and I sh- there should be a new episode up every month. So the, you're you're the you're the James Lipton of game designers. What you're saying this is the inside the designer's studio. <laughs> something something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny you mentioned that when. So I I, I have another podcast, you know, Jumping the Shark. Right. Mm-hmm. We first started talking about that. It actually came up as an idea that uh, between Bill Abner and myself, and I said I want to do a show, and I want to I want to call it Seeing Red, which which ties into the what the game is about mm-hmm. uh, from a Metacritic standpoint. And the idea would be to get people on who had pl- who had been a part of developing games that were not <laughs> received very well, yeah. and just have an honest discussion about okay, well, what exactly. What exactly happened? Right, yeah. Um, but we were like, there is no way yeah. in hell that that would happen because just the yeah, PR that sounds, hurdles. That sounds alone. like it would be awesome, but yeah, boy, good luck finding guests. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We we realized that that's not going to happen. So instead, we thought, all right, well, we'll just blather on for an hour and a half about random stuff. So, yeah. uh, but that was the original intent because I, I think that you know, I mean, success is awesome, but I think failure is more interesting. Sure, sure. Not 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 from a point of trying to. I mean, obviously not not from like a oh I'm glad that guy failed, but just to say hey well what happened yeah. you know was were your hands tied by marketing or schedules or did you bite off more than you could chew you know that kind sure, of thing sure um, yeah but um, well when I when I uh, when I was kind of just uh, just founded Mohawk and it was at that point just me um, I had enough time in my hands I figured I could do some writing and, and uh, I kind of spent some time making some posts on my blog where I was kind of basically to me I was sort of clearing the air. Uh, in my own head of, you know, just what I'd been through in the yeah. six or seven years since, since Civ four. Um, and so I posted some pretty lengthy postmodems on both, uh, both Spore and uh, Dragon Age Legends, you know, which were, uh, the, from, from my perspective, both games that had some interesting aspects but didn't work out, you know, I, you know as, as best they probably could have. Um, right. And, you know, I, I sort of did my best to kind of, like, point out, like, well, these are, you know, if you're, if you're making a game that, that has some of these issues, uh, you know, this, these, are, these are the big things. These are, these are going to be your big challenges. So, yeah, I mean, that's an awesome thing whenever people can do that, for sure. Right, right. Um, well, that, that sounds great. Those, are, those sound like some really, really cool shows. Who's, do you have, can you, like... Uh 
Uh, the next some upcoming episodes. Well, probably sometime around when this episode posts, um, there'll be a new one. Well, the next the next two guests guests that will come up. I haven't made up my mind who comes up next. One will be uh, Dan Cook, uh, who um, is a well known game design blogger, but he's also the guy who just he's at Spry Fox, so he's the guy mm-hmm. who designed Triple Town. Yep. Um, and he's done some other good games, um, Steambirds, uh, for example. Um, and then the other one is is uh, Henrik Ferus. <laughs> Pronouncing that right, uh, he is the uh, he was the lead designer of uh, or lead designer or game director. I'm not sure his exact title of uh, Crusader Kings Two. Oh, okay. Um, and so he's a long, he's a guy who's been at Paradox for years and years and has worked on um, EU and Hearts of Iron and Crusader Kings. And so basically, I talked to him about all those games. And actually, uh, John Schaefer sat in on that podcast too, mm-hmm. which was which was nice. okay. Uh, Civ Five designer for people who don't know. Right. He's he's right. he's played a lot the Paradox games a lot more than I have. So that's that's why I wanted him to have be involved. Yeah, yeah. John John's John's fun to have on, and we've had him on a couple times. So. Um, Cool. Well, very good. So offworldgame.com, that's the place where you can go yep. um, to learn all about Offworld Trading Company. And it is um, at the time this is up, uh, this is uh, we're, we're you're, you're live. You're ready to go. You are. Yep, that's right. Game will be ready. Absolutely. Or at least. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope uh, I'm sure Offworld will, will be a big success. It's definitely um, it's definitely doing something that I don't really feel like uh, other games are doing um, right now. Uh, so um, so best of luck with it, and please come back and 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 you know two years from now when when you're when you're willing to when you want to empty your head of all the the things you learned about making this one, you know, come on back and let us know what you learned and what you didn't. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, Brandon. It was it was fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this has been uh, the Quarter Three Games podcast for the second week of February. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to spending some more time with you next week. Uh, so for all of us here, good night and have a good evening. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar